Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. At this point in the story, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai has successfully left Yerushalayim. This part of the story ends with, or climaxes with, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's ability to ask for three things from Asafsianus, from Vespasian. And the story in the interim period might be concerned with how he achieves that, how he reaches that moment where he's now allowed to ask the guy who's in charge for three things. How does he earn that? How does he deserve that? And you might use this as a way to consider the larger question of how the Jewish people and their leadership will transition from being sovereign in their own land over Yerushalayim towards now being subject to someone else's sovereignty and how might the Jewish people get what they need and get what they want. You can imagine several factors. One, that they prove useful, that there's wisdom, usable wisdom that the Jews have that the other conquering nations might value. And therefore, it would be uh, a waste to try to get rid of, God forbid, the Jewish people. Rather, the emperor Vespasian or others might see it as valuable to keep the Jewish people around. Another factor is that the Jews are not all in Yerushalayim. They're not centralized. It's not going to be possible to simply get rid of the Jewish people. They're not going to just going to go away. So to be able to engage with the leadership and to find a solution or a next step that makes sense that the Jews ostensibly would be satisfied with, that would also be useful and important to Vespasian and to any conquering nation. And third, I would assume that Vespasian and whoever else is in charge would want to know that that solution involves the Jews being happy and not, and not starting more problems. As we're going to see later on with Rabbi Akiva and the Bar Kokhba revolt, there are certainly ways that the Jews will cause problems and will cause war within the context of the Roman Empire. But here, also as we will see, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is of a different bent and of a different mission and purpose than Rabbi Akiva is. And he's willing to play along and to seem to accommodate any kind of anxieties or fears that Vespasian would have about keeping the Jews riled up and empowered. He's going to offer something that feels like a useful, positive solution. The Jews will be happy. They will be um, available with their wisdom, but they will be docile and not agitated. With that in mind, we will visit two different versions of this story, of several. One, the primary text that we've been using from the Talmud in Tractate Gittin, and the other from Echa Rabati, from the Midrash on Echa. So here, Rabbi Nochem ben Zakkai is brought out of the city of Yerushalayim in a coffin, as we saw before. And immediately, we see Kimata Lahatam when he got there, Amar, he said, Shlomo Alach Malka, Shlomo Alach Malka, peace upon you, king, peace upon you, king. Somehow he's gotten to the center of the camp. He's in, able to interact with the general, and he says, peace upon you, king. Pretty shocking. 
Amarley. So Vespasian says to him, Michaivit Tre Katala, you are liable to death twice over. Chada one, the Lav Malkaana, that I'm not a king. Vekakarli Malka, and you called me a king. But two, and also, Imalkaana, if I am a king, Ad Haina Amailo Atit Legabai, why have you not come to me until now if I'm a king? You notice that he's not dead, so Vespasian seems to think that this is an interesting enough conversation to keep going. So Rabbi Yochanan answers. He says, And the fact that you said that you're not a king, it will be soon born out that you are a king. The love, Malka, for your, if you are not a king, Lo then Jerusalem will not be given over into your hands. And why? How do we know that? We have a tradition. Based upon a verse in Isaiah where it says, The Lebanon, which we'll see in a moment, implies the temple, will fall in the hands of an Adir. And we know, he brings another verse, that Adir always means king. And he will be the king over you from Yermia. And third, and we know that the Levanon refers to the temple, because it says, this goodly mountain and the Levanon. It's intriguing that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is not using some sort of magical rabbi power prophecy thing. He's really just using his interpretation of verses and saying, this is true, this is real, this will happen because the Torah says so. The Torah makes an equation interpreted by the rabbis granted but the torah makes an assertion an equation between the fall of yushalayim and the fact that it has to be a king rabbi yochan ben zakai sees this man he knows he sees the writing on the wall he knows that this is the man who will ultimately conquer yushalayim he concludes that of course this person must be a king and that's how he tells it to vespasian i'm obviously not sure how vespasian or someone like vespasian would react to such a comment but he probably would have been fairly impressed with rabbi yochanan zakai's certainty and his clarity about this matter and he says and as for this question you asked if i am a king why have you not come to visit me he said the thugs that are among us have not allowed me. And then Vespasian asks him a question. He says, Amarle, you chavit shall devash, if there is a barrel full of honey, vidrakon karuchale, and some kind of venomous snake wrapped around it, lo you shorvinet chavit bishfil drakon, wouldn't they destroy the barrel because of the venomous snake? And Rabbi Nuchamat, ben Zakai is ishtik. He's quiet. He doesn't answer. And about this, says the Gemara, Kali other Rav Yosef. Some say that Rav Yosef, Vitema Rabbi Akiva, some say it was even Rabbi Akiva, said later on, Meshiv Chachamim Achor, Vadatami Sakil. Which means something like God turns the wisdom of wise people backwards and makes them into fools. The Malbim commentary on that verse says that the wise people in this verse that are being referred to here are nature people 
not meaning tree huggers, but people who think that all the world goes according to nature and cause and effect, and there's no superior power. And these rabbis, Rabbi Akiva and, or Rabbi Yosef, may have been criticizing Rabbi Nochanan ben Zakkai to imply that he uh, was looking at this moment only through the eyes of normal cause and effect and wasn't leaving open some possibility of an additional outcome, some other way that this could be solved through divine intervention. They go on to say, he should have said, what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai should have said, we pick up tongs, and we remove the viper, the venomous snake, and we kill it, and we leave the barrel in place. So this might have been a test from Vespasian. He might want to know how zealous is this Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai? What future is he imagining? How is he imagining the Jewish people continuing here? Is he realistic about the situation? And frankly, the fact that he's quiet is interesting enough. He might, of course, have sentiments in which he loves that barrel of honey. He loves the Jewish people. He loves the temple as it were, and he wants it to be saved. But he's also realistic about these thugs who are there, who are going to prevent any forward progress. He knows it's not simple to just grab some tongs and remove the venomous snake. It's not so subject to such a precision operation. So he's quiet. It's interesting to note this role of silence when referring to the occupying power. Silence can say a lot of things and obviously can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And the Talmud says words cost a sella silence costs two meaning it's valuable not saying anything leaving either leaving the interpretation open but also acknowledging the full complexity of the situation to the point where a person recognizes that there's really nothing to say here there's no one comment there's no one solution to this problem We'll come back to this story in a moment, but I want to jump to the other source, to the Midrash in Eicha, which tells a parallel story. In that one, Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eliezer drop Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in a graveyard somewhere. I don't know if they drop him. They leave him off in a graveyard, and they go back into Yerushalayim. And the Midrash says that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai goes out to walk around among the soldiers of Vespasian, and he said to them, Where's the king? And they went and they told Vespasian and they said, there's this Jew who wants to ask about your well-being. And he said, great, bring him. And so when Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai shows up before Vespasian, he says, long live the king. And Vespasian says back to him, you know, you've been asking where the king is And me, I'm not a king, but when the king hears, he's going to kill me. At which point, Rabbi Nechum Zakkai responds and says, as we saw before, it has to be that you're a king. And I'm not using special secret rabbi powers here, I'm just telling you. It has to be that you're a king because uh, this temple, this city, will only fall in the hands of a king. And he proves it to him. 
At this point, there's a series of wisdom checks. We want to see how Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai is functioning in the context of a long, drawn-out test. Again, Vespasian will probably want to know, is this someone I can use in order to find the next step concerning the Jewish people? I have to know, is he wise? Does he really see the writing on the wall? Does he get it? So they put him inside seven mechitzot, um, seven curtains, as it were, where you couldn't see if it was night or day. And they would ask him, what time is it? And he would answer them. And we know because he was going over his learning and he knew how long it would take to go over his learning. He was reviewing Mishnah or whatever he was reviewing. It's an amazing test. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Even without being able to see. Even when the usual reference points are taken away from you, do you know what time it is? I have to assume that he's asking on the deepest level, do you know what time it is? Do you know where we're at right now? Do you know that Yerushalayim is on the way out and that Rome is on the way in? Do you know what's happening in the world? Do you know that we are at the end of an era, at the beginning of another? And his answer that he does know that, and we know that he does know that because he's learning. It's in the Torah. It's in his learning. He's understanding the Torah in that way. He's seeing just through his own capacity of interpretation that things are changing. He's noticing perhaps new facets of Torah possibility that may never have actually even been exposed before and never been realized before. That's amazing. If you can imagine that the Torah, I wouldn't even say imagine, accept or realize or encounter the Torah as a living being, as a living entity, it's a living tree. And you can imagine that the Torah and the interpretations of the Torah are revealed at various points and there's ways of understanding the Torah that wouldn't have even been available to previous generations. They just never would have thought to look or they never would have noticed that. But Rabbi Nilochon ben Zakkai is looking at the Torah and he's starting to see, he's starting to understand a new picture emerging, a new way that the Torah is going to be expressed. So he's inside these seven curtains. He knows what time it is because he can see in the Torah that the times are changing. But now we need to see is the wisdom that he's gathering there, is this applicable beyond him? Is this something that applies and therefore will be useful also to Vespasian? And we're told that Vespasian went to a bathhouse called Gufna. And he went there, and when he got out, he put on one shoe. And when he was about to put on the other shoe, he got news that, in fact, he had become the king. He went to put on the other shoe, and it didn't fit. And he wondered why. And he started to develop faith or trust in Rabbi Yilchum ben Zakkai that this guy knows, this guy understands reality. And his method, his approach to understanding Torah is useful that it ap- so much that it applies to reality. And he says to him, what's going on? I can't get my other shoe on. I put on one shoe, and now I can't get on the other shoe. And Rabbi Nilchanan ben Zakkai says to him, it must be that you got good news. Because we have a verse that says, uh, good news fattens the bones. Okay, interesting. Again, Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai figured out what was going on with the Vespasian. 
not because he has some special prophetic rabbi power, but because he knows how to interpret. He knows how to interpret the verses. So Vespasian says to him, okay, well, how do I get the other shoe on? And he says, well, if there's someone who you don't like, bring him around here and uh, let, pass, let them pass him before you. And, uh, and then it, your flesh will shrink slightly because it says in another place in Proverbs, a depressed or a downtrodden spirit will dry you out. So at this point in the story, they know that he's wise. They know that he has access to wisdom that will apply not just to him and his people, but to them as well. Now they got to see, okay, does he have ambitions for the Jewish people that will be dangerous to us, or is this going to work out? So as the Midrash says, they started to offer up parables before him, and they said, a barrel in which a viper has nested, what should we do? And he offers a solution. Unlike the Gemara where he's quiet, here he says, bring a, a, uh, a snake charmer and let that person charm the snake and leave the barrel. And there's a guy there named Pangar, and Pangar says, no, kill the snake, break the barrel. And they ask him again, they say, what about a tower in which a snake has nested what do we do there he said bring a snake charmer and charm the snake and leave the barrel and again this guy pangar says no we kill the snake and burn the tower one thing you can wonder what is rabban yochanan ben zakai saying here the two questions make it more interesting why not just ask it one time you have a barrel of honey and you have a tower both of which are beset with a dangerous serpent why ask both so the commentaries say that the barrel of honey is Yerushalayim Jerusalem and the tower is the temple one could wonder whether or not Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is reflecting on how far the corruption has reached does he think that the only problem is the thugs who are in Jerusalem? Or does he see additionally another problem that besets the temple itself? His replies indicate that he's able to identify two different problems. Perhaps the thugs are the problem only for the city of Yerushalayim. And there's another problem that besets the temple, some kind of corruption or misunderstanding, some kind of distortion of the kinds of service and the kinds of relationship that are supposed to occur within the temple. He sees that problem as well. He doesn't think that the thugs are the only issue here, but he thinks both problems can be solved. He thinks both problems can be solved if a snake charmer, if someone could come along who has the capacity to separate the snake from the barrel or from the tower he sees this as something good something still good that can be saved from a negative element which is on top of it it can be removed something which is nesting there but is separate it's outside it's external and it can be drawn away it can be charmed away from the core thing which is still good he doesn't see that thing at the core the tower or the barrel 
as being too far gone. He still sees them as separate things. This, of course, reminds us of ways of talking about the Yetzirahara, ways of talking about how we make bad decisions, how we self-sabotage, how we show up in our lives, in our relationships towards God and towards each other and towards ourselves in our less than ideal form because there's this entity called the Yetzirahara, the negative inclination, as it were. And this entity is separate from us. It's not a core expression of who we are. It's an extension of shadows, dark parts of ourselves, but it's not the thing itself. It's not who we are. Our tradition has different approaches to whether or not this Yetzirahara is something literally external and demonic, like a possession that needs to be exorcised, or whether or not it is a function of the darknesses and the dark spaces within ourselves. But either way, it is something that can be talked about. It is something that can be isolated. It is something that can be navigated, something that can be dealt with, something that can be defeated or brought around and made into something positive. But it is external. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai continues to think that there is something external that is besetting the Jewish people that can be addressed. The guy that he's with, this guy, Fangar, Fangar doesn't think so. Fangar thinks that because the snake is there, there's only one way to get rid of the snake, which is to destroy the thing itself. It's terribly painful. In further conversation with this guy, Fangar, according to this Midrash, Fangar says, listen, man, I'm doing you a favor. The reason why these foreign kings are coming along and sieging you and attacking you is because of this temple. If the temple were destroyed, then they would go away. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai responds and says, you know, I hear your words, but the heart knows whether or not it is being deceptive or not. Meaning, I hear you saying something nice to me, but I suspect that you have your own motives, which are darker and which are more hateful towards us as the Jewish people. Remember that in the version of the story that takes place in the Gemara Gitin, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai is silent, while in the Midrash he offers a response. His silence is uninterpretable. We don't know what he was saying. The response, though, in the Midrash indicates, again, a certain wisdom that he's not saying, let it be, or what can you do? You got to save the barrel, therefore leave the snake. He understands that the snake is a problem, but he's able to convey that he thinks that the barrel of honey or the tower without the serpent would, in fact, be able to persist in a non-threatening way. But the serpent is there, and apparently it will be very difficult to find a whisperer, to find a charmer who can get rid of the serpent. And that might be why the Gemara reports that Vespasian asks him again, so new, why didn't you come to me? And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai says, I already told you, I told you what I had to tell you, these thugs wouldn't let me come. The subtext of what Vespasian might have been asking is, if you're so wise, why couldn't you charm these snakes? Meaning, okay, I accept what you're saying. A snake charmer could come in here and separate these things. A snake charmer could come in and remove the serpent from the honey. So, Nu, why couldn't you do that? And he said, I couldn't. They wouldn't let me go. I wasn't strong enough. We see that going back to the different versions of 
Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's interaction with his nephew, who was the chief of the thugs, that he didn't seem to have any real sway. There was something happening there which is without thought, something happening there which is visceral and intense and doesn't leave room for whispering and charming. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was able to figure that out. He was able to realize that there was no forward movement with those particular thugs in place, and therefore the situation was grim, and quite likely the temple was doomed. At this point in both stories, Vespasian invites Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai to make some requests. Those requests, as we've mentioned before, will have a huge impact, an enormous and unfathomably large impact on the destiny and the fate of the Jewish people in the future and how Judaism would look. And yet, those requests are not without controversy. They're a little bit surprising. We'll look at them and their implications in the next and final episode of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Thank you for being with me.